Hey everyone. Since we started this show, we realized that we've changed from our original fun with using the rules to break the game. And the more we chat about D&D 5th edition rules with all of our guests, we've realized that we love using the rules to make our games actually better. Now, instead of seeing loopholes for exploits, we see opportunities for creative solutions to challenges. And when some people hear rules as written, it does conjure images of rules lawyers and a denial to the rule of cool. Our hope is that by sharing how to apply, adapt, and improve the rules, you can make your games more fun for players and for DMs alike. So, thanks for joining us. Hi, this is Bethany. I'm one of the players in our actual play campaign and one of the hosts of Rules is Written. Hey, this is Tony. I'm the dungeon master for the two campaigns that we have going and also a host on Rules is Written. Hi, my name is Mike. I'm one of the players in one of the actual plays, and I am a new co-host on D&D Raw. You can find D&D Raw on all of your favorite podcatchers. And don't forget, you can also follow us on Twitter at Rules is Written, or you can email us directly at dm at dndraw.com. And please, you can also join us on Discord. We'll make sure to post the link in the description. So today, we're going to be talking about mystics and psionics in D&D 5th edition. Where did they come from? Where did they go? And what can we do to fix it? As our guest, we have Jackie, also known as Death by Mage. Jackie, where can people find you? Hi, everybody. People can find me on Twitter. I frequently am always on there commentating about something, or I'm sharing wonderful projects from the indie TTRPG community. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Death by Mage. Uh, if you need any kind of business inquiries, you can also email me at arcmage at deathbymage.com. That's my business email. And um, you can also find me occasionally on, um, on e- the first of every... Saturday of the month on uh, Asian Represents, where we do uh, uh, Asian reads on Korator, uh, the Eastern Kingdoms, the AD&D version, where we uh, look at some content and try to see if uh, there's anything we can either do to improve it or make any commentary about it. And I am also the creative lead uh, for Unbreakable Publishers, where we publish uh, Asian-owned voices TTRPG stories. So we had volume one released in 2020, and we have four more volumes coming out in 2021. So we are going to be talking about mystics, psionics, and D&D 5th edition, and a little bit about the history. There is so much we could go into. We don't want to keep Jackie here all night long just to talk about this, though I'm sure we could. But what we really want to do is kind of go over the high level for those who aren't familiar, and then dive into some particular things that have stood out to us in the versions of the Mystic so far, and then get into Jackie's proposal for how to fix some of the problems. So I think we'll start with what are Mystics in D&D? They're weirdos, right? That's the yep. short version. <laughs> <laughs> I was reading the draft document. It's pretty much like, all Mystics are outsiders. It's like... Yes, they shun the world. <laughs> I was like, so why are outsiders adventuring with a bunch of people is the question. <laughs> I mean, basically, the description of the mystic they put in, uh, like, the fifth edition, the final version of the mystic, is is they're just like Yoda. <laughs> they're just, you know, they live in a swamp. They've shunned society. They're a little hermit. <laughs> I mean, there's literally a quirk that you get to pick as part of the mystic of just, what's the thing that makes you a bit of a weirdo? For no reason. It just is. <laughs> you don't yeah, explain it. <laughs> that's a thing that that you select when you become a mystic. I just glossed over that section. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I thought it. I thought it was one of those things. Like when when it. Uh, Do you remember Belinda's thing? 
I have two weirdo quirks. I don't drink and I don't dream. <laughs> okay. I know people in real life who are like that. Do they have psychic powers? No. Maybe. They just not- <laughs> haven't told you. <laughs> maybe maybe that's what this is all about. I've been hiding all this time. It's just like some of them are a little bit more weird. Like, I always wear a mask or I only speak in pictogram. <laughs> like <laughs> Some of them make you a little less likely to integrate with society. Uh, but- you are never going to play that character at the table. If you if if I told me, if I came up at a table, I would still not have someone like, oh, you have note cards. You're just not talking this session. Oh, all sessions. You're just not talking at all. It's like, here's my whiteboard. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I do use a whiteboard heavily in my games that I run, <laughs> but it's mostly for note taking. <laughs> yeah, but now it's just going to be the, the only method of communication you got or you're going to mine your way through it. To be fair. Rachel is, when she's played characters who cannot talk, she's really good at miming her way through. So I think for the right player at the right table in person, which is now sounding so remote, because when will we play together in person again? (laughs) I think it could work. But the idea is that these are people who are not integrated in society because they're just different, which I think is true for a lot of adventurers anyways. We all like to play weirdos a little bit. So I don't think it's that different. But I think it's interesting that that's like a defining trait of the class. Is it something recent or is it something that's been part of the class since they started? I thought I read somewhere about taboos being a thing or... Well, taboos is definitely something that they kind of integrated from the Wu Gen, which I don't know why it got integrated into the Mystic when they're woefully two different things. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to we'll definitely get into why the mystic became a catch-all for ideas <laughs> from Wizards of the Coast where they were like shove put ideas it in the mystic. <laughs> because <laughs> there are some decisions that I still just sometimes will shake my head at. <laughs> so, I think for me looking at kind of, you know, mystics, they make sense to us as characters. We've seen a lot of characters who would be mystics in other media. When I try to explain to people who haven't played D&D or anything with mystics, uh, I'm like, oh, it's like being like Professor X. Uh, In a sense, you know, you've got your telepathic powers. They vary. You know, you're Emma Frost. Or you're just kind of like a Jedi. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you're not really big on mental powers, but somehow you use them to boost yourself physically. So it's really broad. (laughs) But who... What, yeah, just what is psionics and the mystic class? It's just, I don't like the way this works. I'm going to change it with my brain. I would say if you like a lot of stuff happening in WandaVision, mystic class would be a great option for 5th edition because there's nothing else that quite matches that. I guess you could be a wizard or a sorcerer or your standard magic casters, but it's not really quite the uh, same. Psionicist makes more sense. Yeah, I think so too. It just works better. So just for clarification, what exactly are psionics if it's not magic and it's not like clerical stuff and it's not muscle power like it's hard because it's basically like it's like magic but just not magic and it comes from big brain power so psionics in D is specifically powers and things that are manifested from your mind so you can create effects from your mind uh which is why in some of the lore for for psionics in the past it was one of the more powerful forms of magic because it was still derived from an, an element of magic. Uh, for Forgotten Realms, like, Psionics was still pulling from energy from the weave, and so they were still considered a form of magic. So sometimes uh, less informed wizards would call psy- Psionics mind magic. And then in other pieces of lore, if you go outside of D&D, Psionics is usually the catch-all term for, like, anything that isn't actually, like, 
the archetypical concepts of spellcasting. But like, but we have key. Isn't key also like internal like mastery of self to project into the world? Yes and no. <laughs> and that might be partly why they threw some stuff into the mystic class because they're like, ah, oh, all same, same. It's all the force, right? But yet not. There's a lot of problems with how the mystic's been viewed because it's like, okay, there's no definitive heritage of culture that it belongs to. So what ends up happening is that you just get elements from everywhere else that just get slapped in. And now some elements are like, okay, so which part is it really fitting into? And then other parts that kind of just go, this feels like it's pulling from this one particular element, but then you just come, and then there's elements that are not quite fitting with it as well. Has Wizards always had like a problem with this sort of thing of how I'm big brain? You mean like what have they done in past editions with uh, with psionics? Like they had to have been pulling from something in terms of oh yeah, this class. they had inspiration for it, but then there's also like there's always reimaginings as well. Like they like in every I would say in most edition passes, they've always redefined how psionics is to be viewed. I would say like I remember when the kineticist was around. The kineticist in AD D was kind of like this. I mean, mechanically, it was still very powerful, but it was. But the other element of it was the fact that these were unique and rare entities. Again, they always put this otheringness into the the mystics it's, as well. It's where it's a core part of it, yeah. Yeah, they're never really a part of everybody else, and I don't know why that's a thing. Like, it doesn't need to be. But Wizards feels like whenever they introduce, introduce stuff about the class, they introduce that first. The, the They are weirdos. They are strange. They are not like other people because they have big brains. Their very powers, like Wizards has actually not fully defined how, like, if their powers can be considered part of magic or something else. Oh, and then when you get into three fives, long debacle about psionics and magic and their relationship and their transparencies. Uh, is there like a, a Spark Notes version? Um, they're actually it's like about five pages long on a book, and also they actually tell you there's two directions you can go, but you as the G- the DM have to decide which way you want this to go, and you can only choose one, right? You can only really choose one because <laughs> they because they actually literally are diametric. In, and this in is concept. in a book, like they legit put it in writing. There, here are the two ways. Pick one. Yep. Both in the original Psionics Handbook and the expanded Psionics Handbook. I mean, it's basically either it is magic and therefore affected by magic, or it's not magic and therefore um, new rules. Yeah, have fun. <laughs> oh, no. Looking at different editions, that they, in the past, like in 3.5, they kind of went down to like, you pick a path and that is what you do. That's the type of psionic power you have. You don't have access to the other powers. This is who you are. You've chosen this particular stat because, you know, right now with what they have in Earth Arcana and 5th edition, it's all intelligence. For, like, your big brain powers. But then you also have some others that come from other places. So they've sort of have kept this idea. But in the old versions, it was like, you are this one thing. And now they kind of had moved towards, you're whatever you want to be. Just pick up stuff. <laughs> the, like, the kineticists could actually choose non-mental ability scores as their manifesting uh, abilities modifier. Which was why it was cool, because you can literally have somebody who's, like, Armstrong from Full Metal Alchemist exist. And it's interesting because the idea is it's really your willpower, in a sense, which is more like wisdom or some other stat than it is just intelligence. So I definitely can see why that makes more sense based on what how they've defined what the class is and what it does. That's true. It's literally they say it's your sheer force of mental will that causes whatever you're desiring to come into being, whether it's inflict damage on an opponent or shift the like 
someone's memory so that they believe something else entirely. Well, it's also not just that, but it's the psionic potential inside of them can affect reality passively. Like in 4th edition, which is what my table had a lot of experience with, there's the Battle Mind class, which uh, has the Ardent. They focus a lot on auras and affecting allies, and there's one of the uh, disciplines that does that. But that's just because their brain is so big, they're like, I'm happy, everyone else in the room should be happy too. I mean, it's a little bit like a paladin in that sense, though. I'm holy, so everyone else around me is holy. <laughs> but like, a paladin has to outsource that to like whatever god that they've decided to sign on with for their contract. Well, the paladin's like, hey, you've been granted blessing by god, therefore, boom, on, go. Listen- Guys, 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 they're with me. They're also holy. Oh, dude. Okay. Yeah. Say no more. But uh, one of the things kind of talking about, you know, buffs and things that help you in a group, there's a lot of different stuff that Mystic can do depending on the version. But something I know Tony has looked at particularly is combat. Because the approach they did for their fifth edition version was we're going to squish you into regular combat and give you abilities and points that make it sort of like spell casting. But that's not the way it's always been in past versions. Yeah. I have read. So much on, like, I remember I had a discussion with you at one point, Jackie, on old ways of two psionics fighting. Because the psionic fighting in a regular fight with regular people, even casters, like, you you do damage to them. You don't have the same sort of effect. But a psionic versus psionic, like, the battlefield kind of changes because it's a battle of the minds. It's not just like, I'm going to damage your brain and, you know, you don't really understand what's happening. Whereas two psionics do. And I believe we talked about it in old editions, it was like a like almost a rock, paper, scissors kind of thing. Yeah, it was a five-mode rock, paper, scissor. So each power had a weakness power that basically basically it, 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 it's super effective against them. So if you use one particular power and somebody else used another that that's particularly weak to, they basically override your defenses. And alternatively, it's the other way around, vice versa. So basically, it was like the most elaborate... Uh, rock, paper, scissors, but it's also done in a secret way. And I think, and I talked to you about Tony, the way we used to do it, which was, it's like a stack of cards. So basically the player and the, and the GM would have like five cards face down at each other and they would shuffle it between themselves. They can know, they will know which one is what, but they have to choose one of the cards to use as their attack or defense. And then they basically put that against each other. They reveal it. And if and if one of them is super effective to the other, they basically win that part of the contest. If they don't do anything to each other, they do nothing to each other. Or they actually def- successfully defend, and they defend. I'm sitting here in horror. You do this every round? Yes. There was a meta, there was a meta combat inside of the combat. Because you'd have the regular fight happening while this mental battle is going on. When I started playing Belinda, the character I'm playing now is a mystic in our campaign. Tony was like, I want to do something special for like mystic versus mystic combat. We talked through different ideas. I was like, these all sound super cool and fun for me and totally boring for my fellow players to watch me do slowly bit by bit. It would lock them out of a lot of what the combat would be because while the two mystics are having this epic battle in the mind, but also but also like physically, the rest of the fighters are trying to move and do stuff. You guys are just standing there silently as the world explodes around you, like... Yep. Like, I was about to say, have you ever... uh, For anyone who's read Aragon, it's basically wizard fights in Aragon. It's caster fights, because they're just creating, like, spells back and forth in order to break the concentration of the other person, and then whoever slips first dies. That's what a psionic battle is. It's just mental chicken. It is mental chicken. 
which is kind of fun is like a, an idea to do sometimes. But I did. I told him, like, I don't think this is a good long term solution. So I'll admit still working on it. It's good for those like big pivotal moments. It's not good for like when you have to do this reoccurringly. I feel like this would be like when you do invoke like that battle of wills. I think that's when it becomes meaningful. But if you're doing like a combat scenario where um, where you're just doing standard combat, even against another psionic creature, it's like. We we could probably skip this unless it's something that's really meaningful or really relevant. Right. I think it's better to be integrated with the other players in the party. So even if you're kind of your character visually is just standing there doing nothing, which I pointed out is basically <laughs> what my character does every single combat. Sometimes every you, you look at someone yep. and they die. I do scuttle around sometimes. <laughs> that's true. Doesn't that kind of tie into this idea that? Mystics are weirdos that are so special, they are separate from everyone, not only thematically, but now mechanically, too? In a way, yeah. Kind of what we're saying is maybe that's not necessarily totally a good thing. Um, And that's part of my pitch for the character I'm playing now. I told Tony, like, I want to be a mystic who has these brain powers, but in every other regard, is just like a regular person who worked a desk job and, like, does not have any physical abilities. I'm not doing any of the, the, the physical buffs because I've done that before. It's fun. It's super busted. It It's broken. <laughs> I want to play one so bad. So I will just be this physically normal person who just is good at manipulating people's minds which is fun but at least there's a downside it's fun i love it and i hate that it makes my character super normal in other regards like where i'm very vulnerable to just being stabbed to death or at early levels i'm like if we just get in a, the wrong fight in a tavern i could just die <laughs> like <laughs> so they they do play different and i mean even this version of the mystic has changed back from like what the original the original was twenty fifteen yeah so we're gonna talk about the the other Arcana because there is no official Mystic class in fifth edition <laughs> it's all bootleg for anyone it, who's it, made it this far and they're like why I still don't know what you're talking about this does not exist so yes this is all in Earth Arcana but is Tasha's yes no no it is not it's well, Mystic abilities well, but not we'll, Mystic class we'll talk about what why they went that direction too <laughs> yeah so there's there's been three versions of the Unearthed Arcana. The first one, like Mike mentioned, was 2015. And that was not a complete class. It was more just like, here's a little starter thing. <laughs> it literally only went up to level five. We actually started building Saria before version two came out. That's why, that's part of the reason that we only did the fifth level. Because um, we debated for a bit. I'm like, fifth level is still a good level, and I'm glad we did it that way. But that's all they had. So we're like, cool, let's fifth level characters, boom, done. There's there's enough there that you can play it. Like it's it's playable, but it's really really overpowered <laughs> at level 5. You have so much more at your disposal than any other class, especially if you rolled good stats, which I did for that character. You rolled good stats and you had really good abilities on top of it. I mean, you went the uh down the particular discipline that does physical abilities. So, Tony, why don't you explain what a discipline is? Okay, so disciplines are kind of like schools within uh, psionics, schools of magic. The same way that there's evocation, there are disciplines for the psionics. For the first version, there were only two. There was Awakened and there was Immortal. The Immortal is a focus on enhancing physical capabilities, and the Awakened was a lot of just mental manipulations. And basically, when you chose a, a mystic, you could choose an entire discipline, which is like... Just all of the abilities within a particular branch. So while 
A spellcaster says, I want this spell that does this thing. A mystic goes, I want this discipline that as long as I'm high enough level does all of these things. As opposed to like a wizard picking, I'm a B school of illusion. You, you still need to actually like learn the illusion spells though, buddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, um, just to use one that, uh, for example, Saria, Bethany's first char- uh, mystic character used was psionic weapon, which um, to go in briefly, all disciplines have what's called a focus, which is just an innate feature that is active if you use a bonus action to decide to have it active or switch to it. They get a passive. It's okay. whatever you're thinking about. <laughs> it gives you a, gives you a little buff. All they the give time. it like a stance. Okay, stance. Stance is cool. Okay. The uh, passive ability, it's usually like something small but beneficial. In the first version of this case, it was you get a plus one bonus to attack and damage. <laughs> Which weapon is attack. ridiculous. <laughs> sure, just free magic weapon while you're starting. Okay. As long as you're thinking about it, your magic, your weapon is magic. I'm sorry, but it's not actually magic. Well, it's sort of magic, but it's sort of magic. But it, it comes depends. from you, DM. It's your choice. Is it magic or not? I'm gonna be violent. Time to be good at violence. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, and then on top of that, if you choose this discipline, you don't only just get that, but you get three other abilities that you can use as long as you're at the right level. You get something called Ethereal Weapon that lets you, you know, ignore AC. What? Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. So it's just like 10 plus your dex mod? Like it? You don't do an attack roll. It said it's a dex save. What? And it deals some damage. Is it at least like l- little bits of damage? It's a regular damage and they take full or half on the save. So it depends on what your weapon Which is. Which is great if you have like a really buff <laughs> magical weapon. Yep. Because- which, which now has a plus one. <laughs> Either you get the plus one, or if you have, like, oh, I don't know, a convenient Holy Avenger nearby, and you're just, like, you're, like, use that in the top of it. You're just, like, yeah, it's just gonna go. It's just gonna go. One level of Paladin, and then, like, all this Mystic level, and you can just ignore it. Yeah, let us clarify. Mystic multiclass with anything is very, very broken. It's even more broken, yeah. (laughs) It's even... Mystic by itself can be very broken. Mystic multiclass. Dip into Mystic doesn't work, by which I mean it works way too well. So... (laughs) You get too much... You get a lot for, like, very little investment. So that's just one ability that you get from signing on to this discipline. Yes, that is one. But to use the different abilities, you have to spend your points. So you have these psi points, which are just, like, uh, you know... It's just a pool of points that you pull it, from. And it's a mana bar. It. It's a <laughs> mana bar. It's, it's like yeah. key in a way. It's the same way that you spend key as a monk. You have side points that you can spend as a mystic. However, you get a lot more as a mystic. Way more points. Yeah, they 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 decided to do the the spell point math, and and then that went all, all over the place. Because it makes you like a spellcaster, but then you've got additional stuff that a spellcaster doesn't have. I mean, essentially, a mystic can cast like multiple ninth level spells once you're high enough just to keep going. Off of the amount of points that you have. Yep. D- did they address this in between versions? Nope. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about version two? Uh- <laughs> we start with the two disciplines. And then and version we've only two talked out. about one of the three abilities you get under psionic weapon. And and they're all busted in the first version. Yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. They're all way too strong. <laughs> they don't get better in the second. No, they really don't. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Well, in the second, they added talents. But they think of like warlock invocations, but better. Like way better. exceedingly better. Better than all your warlock invocations. At least most of them. There's some that aren't very good. Hold on. Even the one that lets me talk to small woodland creatures for absolutely no cost? There's what? There's the one that's mind meld. You just 
speak telepathically to anything. They don't even need to speak your language. They just need to have a language, right? It understands you even if it lacks a language. Nope. No nope. Need for language. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> you can go talk to a fish. <laughs> for version three, there are a few things that they do like tweak to kind of like scale back. They still break a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah. I'm going to talk to this fish. <laughs> well, version two goes up to level 10 now. Oh, yeah. So we switched to version two when I was playing my first Mystic. And I think some things were fixed and then new things were introduced that also didn't work. So I will say Tony tweaked a lot of the language around the abilities to put constraints on them because it's like they forgot to put any constraints. We did a test run with Sarian because it was going to be a shorter campaign. I'm just like, let's just how it is. We'll go with it for Belinda. Since it was a long term campaign, I'm like, nope, we're going to fix this. Now, there's some that are very broken against the mystic that they just like creates this restriction that doesn't make sense there's also multiple abilities that do the same thing yes there's a lot of redundancy and i wanted to say that that like sort of half to half finished sort of feel is also present in the final version and that kind of bugged me i had a player that wanted to play a mystic and i was dreading it honestly <laughs> like they thankfully they played one session and because we were low level that character died and they said this is way too complicated i'm i'm gonna make a different class <laughs> that's the thing mystic is very complicated and the thing is too like in especially when we get into version three there's an unequal distribution of abilities and features in between all of the disciplines like some have lit as little as three some have as many as eight and you're like why is there disparity here? It felt unfinished. And of course, we they say that when they announce it, it's Art Arcana, it's a playtest document, but it felt, there was not a lot of love in it, I would say, for version three. It felt more like we threw our ideas into a document. We did not worry about any of it. <laughs> Which, to be honest, though, that is actually like Wizard's MO with most Unearthed Arcana. Throw it a wall, see what sticks. They, they they even admitted to that, like, w as far back as when they first introduced, like, uh, the scout archetype on for fighters, when they did that whole big, like, fighter kit uh, on Arthur Arcana. Like, they literally admit it. We just throw things into these playtests to see what people like. And what people freak out about. <laughs> and then what doesn't work at all. Like, nobody likes it, nobody likes to play with it, or they just feel it just doesn't add anything to it. And I get that. We're not asking, give us free material that's perfect and polished or anything like that. Oh, I do have to make a point on the second version, which also might be in the third, just because I, I just noticed it. For one of the disciplines, actually, um, who knows what spell true seeing level is? It's six. Yeah. At like fifth level for a mystic, you can get true seeing. Like level five? Yeah. Level five. Level five. There is an ability that for, uh, as a bonus action, you spend points, and for a minute you have true sight. True sight. You see through illusion, you see onto the plane. It's called, uh, it's from the discipline Third Eye. Yep. I remember it. It is literally just bonus action, you have it. That's an action! The actual spell is an action! And it uses a material component that costs money, and you just get it for, like, existing. That's one of the big draws, too, for psionics, also, was that in, in older editions and in still in this one, in 5th edition, they some of them will will mimic actual spells. And the one bonus that, that even in older editions highlighted was, you can mimic spells, some, some powers can mimic spells, but the best boon is the fact that you can mitigate the material components. <laughs> yeah, you get it for free. <laughs> I want to make a note. There's the psionic restoration that Belinda has, the healing. 
In version two, they have healing. They have basically a lesser restoration and a greater restoration. Um, greater restoration is a 50 gold cost, I think, for material components for it. But mystics get it for free at level like 10. Also, the uh, max points they can use is seven between versions two and three. It stays at seven. They don't increase it. The number of side points you can spend on a single ability. So the strongest abilities cost seven points. And that's but how from- they sort of gate you from being yes, able to. Yes, but that gate is from 10 to 20. So from the the second version to the third version, they increase, there's no level cap. Like you're not cut off at level 10, you can play level 20, but nothing is really finished after level 10. It's just sort of a wasteland of like- Madness. The only way they mitigate the seven side limit in the third version, in the third version of the Mystic, was they introduced Psionic Mastery, which lets you go, you get free, you get for a short stint, you get extra bonus si- free side points. Free! They're free! They're free! But you must spend them all, and they exceed your limit. They exceed your limit. And in, in the, and by the way, as you increase further in, in the in the class, you get more points. So it goes from, so your limit is, is 7 for all normal powers, but when you use the Psionic Mastery, you get 9, and you must spend them all. So if you don't spend it, if you don't spend it all, you lose it all. Wait, so I have points. I have a lot of points, but I also have this ability that gives me free points. Yeah, you get to do it like once per long rest, you know, then as you go up, it, the, the limit goes up. So it goes from nine to 11 and then it goes like, and then, and after 11, it kind of goes to more uses you can do. And you're just like, so what you're telling me is I can literally spam and use more points than I'm supposed to be. Great! Right. And there's already, like, abilities we talked about that are, like, these, your big, like, your big spells, the seven-point ones. But a lot of the lower-level ones, you choose how many points to spend on them, and you get to add a die for each additional point. So, like, your basic mental attacks, it's like you do a D8 of damage. But if you spend a few more side points, you can do five D8. And you, and it also allows you to maximize your, your action economy in a lot of ways, because, like, you can because a lot of psionic powers use either action or or reactions or bonus actions because it's one of the few classes that fully utilizes the action economy like really hardcore uses it more than most other classes because of the psionic mastery you can literally keep manifesting powers for an entire turn like it's nothing so just to give you an idea mike there was a fight in uh the original campaign with Saria, where she has an ability lethal strike that lets her add 1d10 per point she spends to damage on a weapon attack. She got a crit on an Oni after having spent five points, her maximum at the time. It was a big risk. <laughs> it was a huge risk, but she hit um, because it's it's literally just has to be the next time you hit before the end of your turn and you deal this damage, but you spend the points either way. She hit, she rolled 10d10 plus her regular weapon damage. Now imagine, once she's higher level, she can just do that now. Period. Right. So there's a reason I'm not a not a physical fighter, my current mystic, because Tony can work to put limits on the, the mental abilities, the awakened discipline talents, more easily than he can balance out the weapon damage with the other classes like, you know... Your character, who's <laughs> you're multi-classing into all the physical damage, so it wouldn't be like, hey, you know how Scrooge's been working really hard to train and fighter? My character is amazing at fighting after one level. And <laughs> the common thread that it sounds like is that this is very complicated, very powerful. It's 28 pages long, and <laughs> yep. <laughs> 
there are disciplines. So they usually have them in two columns. There are disciplines that will take a full column. And they, they basically left it out. You can be any kind of mystic your heart dreams of. Do you want to be an evil controlling monster? You can be that. Do you want to just be someone who's like good at finding things and likes maps? You could do that. Do you want to be Psylocke from the X-Men? You can be that. <laughs> do you want to be master of an element? Which I know is one of the ones that has stood out to Jackie that just is sort of shoehorned in there. Why did we give that to Master of the Four Elements Monk? We don't. We, Wizards doesn't even want to acknowledge that either. Okay, <laughs> it's not, not not even. Like I can see where some of that stuff shows up in later content, like the Soul Knife. There's a couple of details that show up in the Rogue subclass because they realized what fits better for it. Because they're like, oh well, instead of making that a subclass of this Mystic who is just a mental manipulation, why not just a Rogue who um, dabbled in it? Yeah, which actually fits better for the origins of the Soul Knife from older lore anyways. So really what it comes down to playing this <laughs> document is you have to really go into it knowing either you're going to be incredibly unbalanced in the player's favor unless you've done something horrible. I don't know how you could build a weak mystic unless... So my player in my Ravnica Noir game he plays a mystic and... The player has chosen not to choose as many, has refused to choose the most optimal disciplines humanly possible. And even with those limitations put in, we're, so basically we're not going for like the, the, the broken combos that we can clearly identify. We're trying to just go for what fits the narrative. And even then, so for those who are familiar with Ravnica's setting, there is a gargantuan sized Cyclops guild leader called Borborgamos, um, who's the leader of the, of the Gruel clans. So Borborgamos is, is challenge rating 18. So our level 10 mystic had the access to the giant forms discipline, so could transform to a giant. So basically, we had our big kaiju fight, which was great. Like, cinematically, that was wonderful. We loved it. We all enjoyed it for what it was. So the characters did eventually go down losing to Borborgamos, but I will admit that uh, the fact that the character survived five rounds of combat was impressive on its own, not to mention the fact that they also reduced Borborgamos down to literally like 20 hit points left. So they almost won. They almost won. <laughs> At an eight level gap for CR. Yeah. For solo even. And I used and don't and mind you for audience listeners, I used all the legendary actions. I had I used everything at my disposal. Don't worry, I got you covered. You go nomadic mind, nomadic step. All you do is think good and move. That is I, I use those, Mike. They synergize so well with the fighting abilities. <laughs> yes, they do. They're really terrifying. Oh no. <laughs> Then you just bamf around the battlefield killing people. <laughs> you become Nightcrawler. <laughs> right, you get more disciplines, don't you? The higher you level, the more you get. And that a lot of that still has to do with the issue of all the disciplines having a, an, an, a, a very inconsistent distribution of, of features and powers. I pretty much told Tony ahead, for the most part, which of disciplines I was going for so he could plan because uh, of course we mentioned you know, there's different point levels so you have like your low point ability your mid point ability and your high so when you first get those disciplines you can't unlock the mid and the high until you level up so that gave Tony time to see what was working at the lower levels and put constraints on the higher level ones or clarifying language or in more cases just a downside just to put some kind of downside on using the ability because otherwise I was getting free spells <laughs> with no negative as a note, Mike, um, there's two abilities under the nomadic uh, step that I want to address. There's one that says there and back again, 
And there's one that says Baleful Transposition. Have I mentioned if you as a bonus action, you teleport 20 feet out on the edge, off of the edge of a cliff, Baleful Transposition with an enemy. If it fails, you're just back on the cliff. Wait, 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 wait. You can do that at the same time. You can do that at the same time? Because one's an action, one's a bonus action. Have I mentioned that without actually touching them, you could cause them to plummet to their death? (laughs) Okay. Uh, It does let you, it does let you Looney Tunes kill people. Um, It's a save or die. It's just, it's literally a save or die. This is why I've talked with Bethany on several things. I'm like, this is what will work. This is what won't work. This is what we'll do. We'll tweak a little bit without breaking the ability because I still want it to be a fun ability. And it is another stipulation was if something seems like it's too broken in one way or another, we will change it while we go. But uh, it is very complicated. And I wouldn't ever expect someone who is not really going into this wanting to play a mystic to put in the effort to even figure out what the heck they're doing even every so every so often i get stuck because i've got so many abilities where i need a second to check my pre-flight checklist what are my standard goes to's if i had a nickel for every time you said so i'm going to use this new ability (laughs) (laughs) oh mind you in version three also all the subclasses gave you two extra disciplines yes so technically you had way too many abilities (laughs) soul knife doesn't right it's the only one that doesn't. I Thank believe. goodness. <laughs> well, because Soul Knight doesn't have its own separate discipline tree. Right. It's just sort of there. <laughs> it, it's wizards going, ideas, we need it in a place. So instead of wasting extra documentation, we just shoehorn it into a, a pre-existing one. Making more PDFs is hard, Jackie. You know, like, it's just, uh, I guess, a lot of effort. <laughs> just put it in. <laughs> As a note, the one ability that I'm like, wow, this is kind of this uh, another ability that I think is very broken. Just it is a level twenty ability. <laughs> okay, you have a third of a chance to just not ever die. Yeah, the the uh, oh yeah, if you die, roll a d twenty. Yeah, it's so that's part of your your capstone for the class itself. But it's like a capstone. Come on, you don't age anymore. You're immune to disease, poison, and being poisoned. And if you do get killed on a 10 or higher, you disappear. And you also reappear in the exact same spot, by the way. A few days later. You you Obi-Wan after get mur- getting on murdered? On top of that, you gain the benefits of a long rest. On top of that. So you also come back with like all of your side points, everything, all reset. I think the only caveat is that... Uh, well, actually, no, you reappear. You, you, you even reappear you fully conscious, too. You and your too. gear disappear. You appear at the spot... Within 1d3 days later, on the same plane of existence where you died, having gained the benefits of a one long rest. On top of that, even if you do die- What do you die, mean on top of that? Even if you do die, someone else could just bring you back. It's 20th level. I mean, this is true. <sighs> Death is a slap on the wrist. I mean, Nobody at 20th level, it's true. It. You got you got true resurrection and wish to bring you back. <laughs> oh, but don't worry. If there's any other mystics in the area, um, they get free resurrections. Yeah, this is also true. So this ability gives you- By the way- no cost. I introduced a cost because it, I felt it unfair that a cleric had to spend 300 gold on an item and a mystic <laughs> spent nothing to do the same exact thing. Yeah. The cost is she loses her focus. Oh, no. Whatever will she do? That means I can't get it back. Oh, okay. I, I won't lie. There were a lot of elements to that that I just went even w- way before I started looking back at this for this uh, show here, I was like, I remember when I first saw that, and I went, a little much, everyone. That was only introduced in the third version, the rev- the psionic revivify. Yeah. yeah. 
So yeah. we, we've been very hard on this version. I say as the person who's been playing it for years now. I love it, but it's broken. Oh, it needs work. <laughs> so thank you guys. Great discussion as yeah. always. Uh, we look forward to, you know, the next episode. It's good to be back. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So we have a couple of questions here. The first one was going to be, what have you been working on since you were last on the show? Oh, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So of those projects, is there one that's particularly close to your heart? Something that, you know, you feel strongly about? I will definitely say that Unbreakable Volume 1 was probably the most endearing project uh, because we, we formed the project literally after Gen Con 2019. And so right after that, I met Jazz, and uh, we had decided that we were going to push for this kind of, like, Asian anthology project. And it kind of grew and morphed over time from the uh, influences of our contributors and the insight and feedback from a lot of our colleagues and everybody who who was very intimate with the subject. And we ended up with Volume 1 being released in April of 2020, and a lot of it is very holds a lot for me because um it def I wrote uh one of probably the probably one of my largest adventures for anything. Uh it's a large adventure. It's the last adventure in the in the volume. And it was basically it had a lot of connection it allowed me to connect back with like my great grandmother who passed away back in twenty fourteen and it reconnected me with the rest of my family, um thinking looking back at like my culture and my relationship with it. Has there been just general support for the anthology after it came out? Like, what's the response been? Oh, the response been pretty good. Uh, We've had, there have been a lot of people who've been really happy about the fact that it exists um, and support it. I can definitely say that after the word has been spreading, that um, people are even more excited because when we started launching for 2021, we didn't know how many volumes we were going to start with. But due to the large influx of people interested in being contributors and having the opportunity to write, either create, write a story, uh, adventure, or submit art for it, or be editors, we kind of just sat all, me, myself, so it's myself, Jazz, and Caroline, the three, we are the three admins, and we looked at the large influx of people wanting to do something for Unbreakable, and we just went, well, why don't we just have them all? And mm-hmm. so we uh, ended up with basically making the, the game plan for four volumes to be released in 2021, which is a very ambitious plan for um, <laughs> considering that there's only technically three admins really running the whole logistical operation. And basically, all three of us have to manage basically the almost 60 people across writers, artists, editors, and sensitivity readers, peer reviewers, consultants. So it's just like, okay, yeah. We'll we'll manage. <laughs> you have your hands pretty full, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I knew that once we came to those plans, uh, it did uh, tailor a lot of my approach for what I wanted to do in terms of uh, any personal projects or how I uh, was going to receive any commissions or freelance jobs for the rest of the year. And that sort of response, just the fact that everybody wants to contribute, uh, the hobby supports that sort of thing. Yep. Is that like your favorite part of just RPGs in general, or is there something else that really, you know, hooked you into the entire hobby? I, I think it's the fact that people can finally start looking at TTRPGs as a medium for another kind of storytelling. 
like truly look at it that way as opposed to before it's just it's just a game it's like no there's you can use it as a medium to like represent emotions and the variance of your dysphoria your connections with your culture and how to represent your culture in a meaningful way that isn't stereotyped or actually inciting more stereotypes even reinforcing them yeah and and celebrating your culture even because i will say that like so in volume one we had a few people who've never written an adventure before or never did art for a ttrpg project before or edited for a ttrpg project before and that was and that was kind of our our goal with unbreakable as a whole was to introduce more asian creators into the ttrpg space to give them a opportunity to gain some experiences and insight so that they can one day move into that field if they wish to on a more professional level or if they wanted to create things on their own but still know have the, have the know-how and savviness to actually navigate through it and a lot of that came through and I can still say that for 2021 we still have a lot of people who are first timers they've never written did art or edited for a TTRPG project before but it's a good mix we have people who are veterans we have people who are not and the thing is our role as admins is to facilitate those platforms to give to basically be the platform and give you the the creators the means to do it and while we have a lot of long term plans we're trying to just right now focus on the immediate things like having four books to release in 2021 so well mentoring you know people who are new to the profession but it sounds like the the work is meaningful to everyone involved yeah and uh, i will say that i can tell that i think the one thing that that stuck with me was how somebody told me that unbreakable volume one was unapologetically asian and i went i think that needs to be the thing moving forward is that it needs to be unapologetically asian so um, we're trying to do better for our non-Asian readers and for our audience who are non-Asian as well, because we want to include them into the experience and make sure that they, when they have one of the products, that they can still enjoy it and read it and understand and gain greater empathy for everyone 